with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about the IMF raises China's growth forecast to 5.2 percent this year, and the U.S. Federal Reserve makes the expected rate hike, but also warns that more could come. And now let's begin with our top story. The International Monetary Fund has projected China's economy will grow by 5.2 percent in the year 2023. That is up from 4.4 percent forecast in October. In its latest World Economic Outlook report, the IMF said growth is expected to pick up in China with the full reopening in 2023. Meanwhile, global growth is projected to fall from an estimated 3.4 percent last year to 2.9 percent this year. The IMF said the rise in central bank interest rates to fight inflation and Russia-Ukraine conflict continue to weigh on economic activity. So, for more on the global economy and China's contribution, joined us on the line now is Dr. Wang Dan, chief economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Dan, first of all, the IMF forecasts the global growth will slow from 3.4 percent last year to. 2.9 percent this year. How do all this figure look to you, and what are the main factors affecting the global growth this year? Both figures look quite low to me,、uh, and that suggested a pretty significant headwind coming our way.、Uh, it is mainly dragged down by the slowing economy in the U.S. and Europe, and that, that's the result from the interest rate hike throughout the last year. And this year, if we look at specific markets, we'll notice that China's reopening is probably the only upward、uh, upward trend in the global economy. And for most of the developed world, they're going to face very difficult time.、Mm-hmm. So, Aina, so the IMF figure, how do this figure look to you? Well, I'd agree with Dan. Dan, I mean, I think it's a little bit low.、Um, they were low to begin with when they were at four point four. Uh, and they're they're still being very very cautious about it, not as cautious as the World Bank. But what was interesting to me is that across the board, although they didn't、um, put the specific、uh, country numbers down, you know, the U.S. is going to weigh in at、uh, 1.4 percent growth, and that kind of reflects across the board.、Uh, Europe, it's actually even much lower.、Uh, Great Britain is actually expected to decline. So. You have this situation where the developed countries are the ones that are lagging. They're the ones who are going to bring down global growth, and, and really the only bright spot, as Dan Dan then pointed out, is China and to a certain extent ASEAN. Although they did、uh, downgrade it、uh, slightly,、um, the big issue there is that、uh, they said、um, they only expect inflation to go down from to go from current eight point eight percent in twenty twenty two to six point six percent in twenty twenty three. Well, obviously that's good. It still means that, in real terms, most ordinary people are going to experience a loss in disposable income.、Mm-hmm. And then, so across the board,、uh, the IMF says、uh, China and India will continue to lead the global economic recovery, while the Europe's advanced economies will continue to struggle this year. So, what do you make of that? And especially, China and India, they say, are likely to drive half of the global growth this year. Tell us more about that. 
Uh, China and India, being the largest two emerging economies, are absolutely the pillar for the global growth this year. Um, but if we look at the specifics of both countries, they have quite different drivers. Uh, for India, it looks like they are attracting more investment uh, from abroad, and domestic consumer market has been holding up quite strongly. But for China, it seems that the housing market is probably the main driver uh, as supported by the policy. Although the housing sales is likely to be relatively weak, the housing construction will certainly pick up pace. But when it comes to consumption, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty because we know that it's going to accelerate and eventually uh, come back to the pre-pandemic level. But right now, it just seems that people are still cautious. Uh, they're starting to spend more, but because of the job market prospective, uh, prospect is still uncertain, and people are cautious. Mm -hmm. So, Aina, what do you think? Uh, the IMF has actually upgraded its forecast for China's uh, GDP to 5.2% this year. So, talking about the resilience of the economy, what do you make of the resilience of Chinese economy, and will it bounce back strongly? As we talked about before, I, I do anticipate a sharp V return, perhaps even getting above the 2019 levels fairly quickly. But the, the real issue is long term. How long can it last? Uh, you know, the Chinese consumers have $17 trillion in savings, uh, the largest amount that they've ever had. Um, but it does, and I agree with Dan, it comes down to confidence. That starts with jobs. Uh, jobs means you need, you need small, medium-sized business entities feel confident. In order for them to feel confident, people have to be willing to spend. So it's a, a chicken and egg issue. How do you get it uh, all kind of working together to create this consumption uh, that is necessary to support uh, the Chinese economy and, quite frankly, the world economy? And that's why I think the uh, Chinese government is is really pushing extremely hard right now to uh, you know to, to give a sense of confidence out there. I think this uh, latest IMF a reading, although it's it's still relatively conservative, uh, it lends towards that. Uh, China is the bright star in an otherwise very gloomy uh, picture. Mm -hmm. So now we are seeing the consumption ranging from the tourism to movies recover strongly during the spring festival holidays, and the quick restoration of consumption is the key to China's economic recovery this year. So when do you think the uh, consumption will recover to the pre-pandemic levels, and what policy measures are still needed? Uh, our forecast right now is that by the end of this year, China's retail market will return to the 2019 level, not the growth rate, but the level. Uh, and we pretty much lost the growth in the past three years uh, in terms of retail, especially for the mass market. For the high quality, high end market, especially in first tier cities, um, there's not much loss in the consumer market at all. So this year, uh, this trend could continue for quite a while. The key to really reboot consumption is still on uh, the low-income families. Uh, I would still think that consumer market will rebound. So, Aina, so besides consumption, what other areas do you think China will focus on to boost its uh, economic development this year? Obviously, it's a uh, you know, system of trade. Um, uh, RCEP is obviously a huge one. You see trade expanding in uh, ASEAN. And that, that will continue. Um, but I, I disagree slightly with uh, Dan. I, I understand the helicopter money giving people uh, funds is a way of priming the pump, but you cannot sustain it. 
Uh, it just means that you know tomorrow you have to give more money. Uh, the key here is getting small, medium-sized uh, companies uh, the confidence uh, to go out there, start businesses, and have people uh, start spending, and then you know they can employ more people, and that's how it goes. I mean, you, you can't get around the fact that they are 90% of new jobs, 80% of existing jobs. So I, I think that is really job one. Uh, the, the housing market, yes, you have to uh, keep it steady. But uh, I don't think uh, that is uh, alone can uh, you know create this kind of consumption cycle that is necessary for China to be successful. Uh, China will also continue to uh, try to be the low cost leader. You see this in the area of logistics. Increasingly, um, you know they're making sure that uh, Chinese ports are more automated to cut costs. Um, in the factories, they're looking at um, you know technology. Digital technology 3.0, which allows uh, factories to operate more efficiently, both in terms of uh, supplies, projections, uh, getting things to market, etc. Mm. So, Anna, so China's growth expected to outpace most of its uh, major economy peers this year. How much China's large domestic market will contribute to supporting the global economy? Do you think? Well, it'll it'll if if it gets back on track, it'll be the only expansion. Uh, in uh, global markets, uh, you're seeing a sharp downturn basically in all the developed markets, all the areas that have been traditionally the centers of demand, Europe, America, uh, even uh, Japan and, and South Korea. Uh, they're just not going to have the kind of growth that allows them to have more expenditures. So uh, China is basically on its own at this point, uh, China and ASEAN. Uh, there's so much trade going back and forth in terms of intermediate and finished goods um, that they have literally become a you know a regional uh, supply chain um, powerhouse, uh, and hopefully they can power you know their individual economies um, and restart uh, the global uptick, which uh, at some point has to come. Mm-hmm. So then, now that China has reopened its economy, and so how do you foresee China's reopen this year and its influence and impact on the global economy? Well, China's reopen this year will affect both the global supply and demand, and the final result will depend on which power is stronger. And right now, it looks like that China's supply could play a bigger role, um, because if we look at the industrial capacity in China. Almost every single sector has the overcapacity problem in the past, and it had become an issue of supply shortage during the pandemic. But now, with、uh, all businesses coming back to normal, on、uh, China's production capacity、uh, has been greatly expanded already. So,、uh, Aina, what do you think? In what fields do you think China could contribute to the world economy this year? Oh, well, they're going to contribute growth、um, and higher quality growth. And I'd go back to what Dan said about、uh, the difference between India and China.、Uh, India is really about necessities.、Um, they're facing some headwinds, especially with this financial、uh, issue with Adani、uh, and、um, these reports that、uh, are less than flattering about his company and how it accumulated. How we went from 20 billion to 140 billion、uh, during a very difficult economic period. So、uh, they have their challenges. China is really going to lead, as I said, in, in high-quality development and inclusive development because of its、uh, role with uh, ASEAN uh, and also the Belt and Road Initiative,、uh, which I think will be、uh, refocused、uh, this year. I mean, there's. Uh, more, less things going to Europe. More things going to the global south and the、uh, Central Asia region.、Uh, 
And I think there's going to be a reassessment of exactly how all of these pieces fit together. So in terms of uh, global development, it's not just China at home. It's also China as a regional and international player. Mm-hmm. So then, so economists say, quote unquote, we are entering an era of geopolitical tensions and fragmentation. So what would you describe as the co-factors of this fragmentation? Uh, from the economic perspective, uh, different countries now pursue different agenda. And the big background is the China-U.S. relation. This relationship seems to be getting better since the conversation, uh, conversation channels are expanding. But uh, everyone knows that the decoupling, especially in the high-tech sector, is real. So for most of the businesses, they have to now think about the parallel strategy. And for Chinese central role as the manufacturing center, it still needs to consider the additional risk coming from potential restrictions from the U.S. So even for Chinese domestic, large, uh, private, or state-owned enterprises, they need to really think about utilizing ASEAN as a uh, midway to get to the Western market. And that's why we see this restructuring of the global supply chain. Uh, it's also taking up pace. Mm, so, Aina, do you agree with that? Or what should we do for cooperation, actually? No, I mean, what's interesting about it is the Belt and Road Initiative anticipated that China would basically go up in terms of its tertiary economic goals more towards uh, services. And that a lot of the uh, high uh, labor uh, industries would be uh, basically uh, put out to uh, ASEAN and Belt and Road uh, countries. And that is exactly what's happening. Um, this, this diversification sounds fine. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. After a short break, we'll take a look at the U.S. Federal Reserve raise the interest rate hikes again. Welcome. I'm Elaf Ellard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The U.S. Federal Reserve has raised the interest rates again. The Fed said it was raising its key rate by 25 basis points. That marks the smallest increase since last March after a series of aggressive rate hikes last year. But officials warned that they didn't think they were finished raising the interest rates. So then, first of all, the Federal Reserve raised the rates by 25 basis points this time again. So how do you explain this decision and what are they considering? Uh, the decision is largely anticipated by uh, almost all p- uh, players in the market because although the inflation pressure seemed to recede a little bit in the U.S., uh, it just doesn't even get close to the inflation target set by the Federal Reserve, uh, which is around 2% in a certain period of time. So now the optimistic forecast is within the next three years, maybe they can achieve the inflation target. And that means probably at least this year and a large part of next year, we'll still see the interest rate hike, although in a less aggressive manner. 
Mm, and Jerome Powell said that more could come, but a lot of、uh, economists discuss about that. So, do you think they will reverse the policy by the end of the year? I would be extremely surprised if that's a decision.、Uh, although we all know the trade-off between economic growth and inflation,、um, for the Federal Reserve, it just seems that inflation now is still the number one priority. The U.S. labor market remains strong despite the massive layoffs from the IT industry. So the overall wage growth is still quite rapid, which means、uh, people are able to afford a high living standard and better quality of services and goods. So that means the domestic labor market pressure is quite low. And given that in the background, there's really not much concern for the Fed to raise further of the interest rates.、Mm, so, Ina, so what do you think? Actually, the Federal Reserve they want to get the inflation under control. So, have the、uh, interest rate hikes、uh, so many times from last year worked in fighting the skyrocketing、uh, inflation so far? Yeah, the cost of、um, the economy. Now, I, I disagree with Dan 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 on、mm-hmm. this、uh, labor market. I mean, you yes, you can look at the growth、uh, level、uh, and say, oh, everything looks okay. But once you start diving deeper into it, you see that a tremendous number of Americans are under stress.、Uh, you still have that 60 plus percent number of people who are living paycheck to paycheck. Actually, at the lower levels, wages are not rising quickly enough to、uh, allow them to maintain their income levels.、Uh, they're falling behind. You can see that quite clearly in the amount of credit card debt,、uh, short-term loans, etc., that people are taking out just to make to get by to cover their existing expenses. So, if as this continues, you're going to see more defaults that will affect the bank, and political pressure will be there as the election season. Mm. Start swinging it、uh, full things. There, every you know, the Biden administration will want、um, the Fed to, you know, basically give some good news. How receptive they are to that, I don't know. But、uh, there's, you know, if people are hungry and people, you know, the banks are suffering,、uh, the Fed is going to have to reverse、um, its its、uh, current play. It cannot continue to push these、um, rate increases, which are not only damaging the U.S. economy. They're also damaging the world economy because other economies, to prevent their、uh, currencies from going down,、uh, are forced、uh, to raise interest rates, which is also killing their economy. So this is really something that has a macro level,、uh, very disruptive, very negative, poisonous、uh, effect on the global order. And unfortunately, Jeremy Powell doesn't—he、uh, may care, but he's not、uh, doing anything about it. Mm. And Ina, so according to the IMF, the U.S. economic growth is forecast to slow to 1.4 percent this year. So, what do you think are the main problems that need to be addressed for the U.S. economy? Well, it's all the things we've talked about. I mean, it's it's inflation, the recession,、uh, political uh, disunity, um, and and competitiveness.、Uh, frankly, the U.S. has fallen behind.、Uh, they're not the engine that they once were. And this is、uh, true across all of the developed nations, not just the United States. I mean, that, that kind of one, that low 1.4 figure, is mirrored、uh, in countries、um, all across the G7. So at this juncture, you're seeing a change、um, in the world order. The idea that the developed nations will continue to hold sway over things is is disappearing. So then, how has the U.S. housing market been responding to the interest rate hikes since last March? 
And the housing market has been taking the biggest hit、uh, since the beginning of last year,、uh, and the slowdown was quite significant. For most of the U.S. consumers, especially younger generation, they've never seen such a high mortgage rate, which is above nine percent now.、Uh, for most people, their memory was still the 2008 financial crisis. By then, the mortgage rate was extremely low. It was below two percent or even one percent, and everyone was rushing in to、uh, get a apartment. But now it just seems that、uh, the hike of interest rates. Is going to continue, and that means the cost of buying a new apartment will be a lot higher than before. So, for the young people、uh, living in the U.S. now, it's going to be a very difficult year. Although they may get higher wages, on、um, their pressure of paying back debt is a lot higher than the previous generations.、Mm. And what do you make of the U.S. stock market performance? Because、uh, for the、uh, inflation, many people in the financial industry have never experienced such high inflation in their lifetime. So then, tell us more about that, and how would this new experience affect their decision making? And、the stock market in the U.S. has been performing very poorly,、uh, and a lot of investors, especially international investors, are extremely disappointed.、Uh, the hike of interest rate、uh, certainly play a major role、um, because the leading stocks in the U.S. are in the IT or high tech industry, which are very sensitive to interest rate changes. And now, at such a high level of borrowing. A lot of the companies are thinking, actually thinking about delisting from the stock market, and this is、uh, becoming a common trend. And that means for the、uh, the U.S. investors, they are now having fewer channels to、uh, gain additional wealth, and in the long term, this will also impact their behavior in consumption and also in property purchase. Mm. And a lot of、uh, you know discussion about the U.S.、Uh, recession, whether it will be in this year or next year. So, what do you think are main problems that need to be addressed for the U.S. economy? Done. The U.S. economy is in a technical recession already.、Um, but、uh, to me, what's really interesting is this divergence between the perception of the economy and the actual. The actual living standard, and、um, I agree with what Ina had said.、Uh, for a lot of people, they do live paycheck to paycheck, so their living standard has suffered,、uh, given how high the inflation is.、Um, but for the general survey, if we look at the most recent one, a lot of people still are quite hopeful for their job pr- perspective. Actually, for younger generations, especially, they find more job opportunities, and they are willing to take the chance to make a career change, and that shows consumer confidence. And for businesses, they are also expanding. The number of startups in the U.S. are still at an all-time high. So I think this mixed picture has reflected one the resilience of the U.S. economy, but two also the higher cost of doing business. People are not used to this new normal yet.、Mm. And the U.S. central bank's move was、uh, closely watched around the world. So then, what is the implications to other countries, especially the、uh, developing countries and emerging economies? Um, this is a hidden bomb for the developing nations,、um, given how high the return for investment is in the U.S.、Uh, 
um, there might be a strong momentum for uh, the international investors to move at least more funds to the dollar-denominated assets. And if there are any black swan events this year, then all of a sudden we'll see the similar uh, trend again, just like in 2021 and in 2020, all money would rush back to the U.S., and that can cause a potential debt crisis or currency crisis for a lot of the vulnerable economies. And even for Latin America, a lot of economies are doing really well because they're commodity exporting countries. Um, but this year, if uh, the U.S. decide to keep the interest rate high or increase their sanctions over Russia, that can trigger this uh, capital rush back to the U.S., and that can be a very bad news for those economies um, because now their political situations are getting more vulnerable and the economy is heavily in debt, way more so than three years ago. Mm-hmm. So, Aina, last, how do you think will the U.S.-China trade war or the decoupling on the uh, high-tech sector will affect the U.S. economy this year? Well, I believe it will add to the loss of jobs within a, in the uh, tech community. You're already seeing uh, all of these uh, large entities uh, laying off people, and that will continue. Uh, the, if you start looking at the number of uh, chips that are being imported, demand is way, way down. That means uh, that these companies are not going to be producing. There won't be uh, as much pressure for new designs, etc. Um, R&D will be put on the back burner as they pay more attention to, uh, you know, generating cash. Um, people will be laid off. These these are very important jobs. You can just say you can say, well, they've only laid off, you know, two three hundred thousand people in the tech sector. But when you start looking at those jobs that you know are going from two hundred to you know, I'm 1.5 million and start doing the math, you're starting to look at a very large uh, chunk of business. Um, Really, the long-term damage is that these companies are going to be, in essence, locked out of the Chinese market uh, in the future because they, you know, basically their government won't allow them to trade uh, with China. And that is going to be very dangerous. They lose a, a major market. Uh, Chinese um, uh, companies are already, like Huawei has uh, said, that they're coming up with a new uh, chip design that has been a workaround. That means they won't be buying the U.S. or Europe. Mm. And uh, eventually, uh, Chinese uh, manufacturers will start creating machines uh, that make these fab plants possible and uh, allow the production of these uh, silicone wafers or new technology. And when that happens, you, you really do have a split. But the split is not in favor of the West, which doesn't have the growing markets that you have in Asia. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.